My name is Rachel Peru and I'm a 50-year-old grey-haired curve model and I'm going to be your host for the Out of the Bubble podcast. I started a new career age 46 modelling and on social media I found so many women, inspiring and amazing women over 40 who were really embracing their midlife and helping to break down the stereotypical barriers. I really wanted to share these stories with you, so let's celebrate and firmly place a spotlight on women over 40. My weekly reminder that you are not invisible and it's never too late to try something new. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Out of the Bubble Podcast with Rachel Peru. And this week's guest is slightly different. Rebecca McCann is the founder and CEO of ProBlow. ProBlow is a um, detachable hairbrush and blow dry system. And she has really created something quite special. And her rise to fame and her rise to um, a successful business was a very quick journey and one that she really didn't expect and hadn't prepared for. And I'm really interested in how she really took an idea and ran with it without the knowledge and gained all the knowledge along the way very quickly in a short space of time. By saying yes to things, most importantly, she started with the attitude that she was going to fly with stuff and say yes and follow her gut instinct. And I I really do believe that this is why I set up the podcast. I wanted to be able to inspire and motivate other women to follow that natural instinct, whatever age we are, because just because we're over 40 doesn't mean to say that we can't follow those dreams and achieve them. So Rebecca's story of starting a new business at 29 is really, really inspiring. And, you know, she's going on to help other women now and lift them up as long the way. So I'm looking forward to finding out all about Rebecca's story. So hi, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. So I said in your introduction that, you know, you are somebody that has really embraced this new exciting adventure of business um, that, that you hadn't really planned for. But how do you describe yourself to people? I mean, I just think I'm a very normal person. I just think that we create our own opportunities, I guess. And I just, I just go with it. I don't go with it in the way that you don't plan, you don't prepare for it. But I just think if an opportunity comes along where you have the chance to just go and jump into something, go for it. And I would say I'm an all or nothing person which obviously has like the benefit, but also has like some real negatives to it. And it's something that I'm definitely trying to learn not to be so all or nothing, but I think that's definitely helped me. I can completely relate to that because I'm the same. So I'm going to be, we'll have that conversation a bit later on because I'd like to find some of your tips on the, uh, how to keep that balance better. <laughs> have you always been like that from when you were at, when you left school? What were your aspirations? Because I know you were, before this, you were working in banking, were you? Yeah. So when I say banking, I was contracting. It was PPI. It wasn't really like a career um, job, I guess. No, in school, I wasn't academic at all. And I'm such a believer in especially to teenagers now, they're told, you know, you've got to get these grades and you've got to hit this, this and this. And for me, I was never academic. I wasn't interested in school. I had a great time at school. I had great friends. But the study side of things never really interested me. And I actually always talk quite often about when I was at school. Um, I was about 13 years of age and everyone was having these sweets from the tuck shop. And I was like, hang on a minute, there's some money to be made here. And I was with mum in the Asda and we saw the Walker's crisps that were on like this bog off aisle. So I said, Mum, can you lend me a fiver? <laughs> so she did. And I bought all these crisps and I went into school with my rucksack full of Walker's crisps and I sold them and I undercut the tuck shop. So <laughs> the teachers realised and obviously banned me from taking my rucksack in. So I would buy, I don't know if you remember, they were these like, long plastic sticks filled with sherbet and they were like yeah. 10p. So then I would stop at the little shop on the way to school and grab a load of these because they could fit in my blazer. And again, I used to then get patted down at school and the teachers find out. So my final um, 
money-making scheme, I guess, when I was at school, probably which when I should have been studying, was at the time really big roly-poly fringes with the fashion. So I quickly figured out if I could get some scissors from the art block, I could sit by the drama studio at lunch, cut in the fringe, and then blow dry it under the hand dryer in the toilet. <laughs> That's what I did well. in school. Um, so, you know, I wasn't academic, but even when you look back at the time, I didn't realise it. But with that mindset, if I wanted something, I mean, what I wanted was, you know, to buy myself a few drinks on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that. So I found my own way to kind of make that happen. Um, so that was school. Then leaving school, I went off to university. I did that purely for a lifestyle. Um, I came back. I didn't do my degree. My dad wanted to kill me. Um, <laughs> and then I got a job in MBNA, working in the board centre. And that was a huge eye-opener because they were a massive corporate company, an um, mm. American company, and it was moved over to Bank of America. And I was in the call centre. I was working, you know, on a 12-hour shift, answering the calls for credit cards. And I think it was two things. One, I really saw the corporate side of things. And then secondly, I also thought, like, I don't want this for the rest of my life. But I, mm. you know, looking back, it was also some of my best times. I loved it. Then from then I went to contracting for PPI and I worked my way up very quickly. And I was, once I was in a position, I was always hungry to kind of progress, but I just didn't enjoy it. And I said to my dad, like, oh, it's got to be more than this. And he was like, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And that kind of just struck a chord with me. And I thought, he's right. I've got to find something that I just, that I love and that I'm passionate about and that I don't feel like is work. And what I find really interesting about you is, you know, you, because you didn't know what your passion was going to be. And I think that's the whole part of this is the journey, isn't it? To, we, none of us know what, what our, our kind of future destiny is going to be until we just say yes to stuff. And I think being open-minded about possibilities is a really key thing here. But how did you go from, from doing all that to having that kind of light bulb moment of finding something that, that you have now created to be such a successful global business? Where did it start? So it was really, it was a really natural kind of for me anyway. I was working in the contract and I'd always go to the salon and I'd always get my blow dry on the weekend, right? And anyone who gets a blow dry knows they leave the brushes in your hair to cool. So I was at home in my apartment. I just bought this new apartment in Chester and I was trying to, you know, pay off my mortgage. And so I cut back on going to the salon and I was like, I've got to blow dry my own hair at home. And then literally my hairbrush broke. And like we now joke and say, Pobla was born off basically living on a budget and a broken hairbrush and it is true so my hairbrush broke and I was like oh my gosh I can just clip this barrel in and it's going to give me that look and so from that I was like instantly I thought if I can get this in front of women they're going to want it I didn't know how I was going to make it or how I was going to get it in front of people but I just knew that if I could get it in front of the right people then they would buy it and so I just became obsessed. I just read a lot. I, you know, I made a lot of mistakes as well along the way. I didn't have anyone around me who had been through anything that I had or had done like e-commerce, logistics, manufacture, anything like that. So, you know, when you're blinded, you do make a lot of mistakes, but I just became obsessed with getting this product to the market. And then once I got it to the market, I became obsessed with everybody knowing ProBlow. I was like, they have to know this product is ProBlow. And yeah, that was kind of where it was born. I mean, so many fantastic things there. The fact that you just had this, you followed your intuition. You knew that you were onto something. And, you know, I can, I can mm -hmm. sit here desperately missing going to the hairdressers and wanting to have that blow-dried finish. And I can see <laughs> how amazing the product is and why it works so well and why women are drawn to it. But lots of people have these ideas in their lifetime but don't do anything mm -hmm. about it. How difficult was it for you to really keep that belief in yourself when, when you were making mistakes as you were learning 
were there points when you just thought yeah. this is just going to be too difficult or did you absolutely 100% know that this is you were committed to it honestly I wasn't going to stop until it worked mm. and I think there's a really fine line between being cocky and being confident yeah so I think you know especially as women it's almost like you're you're in fear of saying that you're super confident in your own ability because you fear of coming across cocky or confident. And I think you have to have that really strong, stern confidence in yourself and know that ultimately whatever happens, whatever problems you come across, because there's always going to be problems, you know that you've got what it takes to deal with it. And that's just, I just have that belief in myself. And so when I launched the business, I went all in. And I'm sure we're touching it later, but the biggest problem with ProBlow is we grew too quickly for somebody who had no experience. Mm. And so with that comes obviously a lot of problems and a lot of issues. And so it and also a lot of investment and everything we made, we went back into the business and then I had to look for external investment. And so when you go all in, I didn't have an option to, it's either fail or win because everything was in this business. And almost when you go all in, you don't have any other option but to just believe in yourself because it's just you have to keep pushing yourself. Yeah, and the fact that you have invested not only the money, but the time and that commitment mm. you have to make it work I guess that's yeah failure wasn't an option was it no no and how because I know that you were still working when you first launched it when you finally got 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 it to the manufacturer point I mean that in itself I wouldn't know where to start so how easy did you find help and support along the way to get it to that point ready to be able to get out and sell you know what I was really fortunate in that I reached out to people who for example I was working with somebody who was helping me with design and then he knew a makeup artist who knew another lady who'd been successful so I just reached out to her and she said you know come meet me at my studio we can have a coffee and to her I you know she didn't know what I was doing or who I was and she just gave me half an hour of her time which and I always speak to her now and I said you know what that just gave me that belief and that I needed and you just pick snippets of information up of people along the way um but it's definitely important to have a support you know a support network around you and I actually launched business in Selfridges whilst I was still working in my PPI job and you know you, you've got to have people around to support and you I think obviously as you go and you make mistakes you learn from that and then you meet people who can help you and it's learning to trust the right people as well. Yeah, and I think networking is such a great tool when it is with the right people, but it's finding mm -hmm. them, isn't it? And I know that you, yeah. you actually kind of, you, you went, you did it from your, your parents' home, didn't you? You, you used them as a, as a base <laughs> to, to work from. Yeah, so the flat that I was trying to claim my mortgage on, which is where I started this concept from, I ended up renting that out to give me, when I left, so I finally was three, four months into ProBlow being live and I actually took a sick day to go and launch at Selfridges and I got to a point where I was just driving to work one day and in my mind, I was going to be working there for at least 12 months, but I was just driving into work one day and it literally just hit me and I was like, I've got this opportunity now. If I go all in and in 12 months time it's failed, I know I gave it my best shot. If I don't quit my job and I still keep juggling from six in the morning to 2 a.m. every day, I'm always going to think, what if I'd given everything? So at that point, I rented out my apartment. I moved back to my parents' house in their spare room and started up from here and did it from here. And, you know, thank, thank them so much for the support they gave you because that's, that's yeah. another thing that's so crucial, isn't it? Having family that are trusting mm -hmm. in, in your instincts and, and kind of 100% behind you because without that that's mm -hmm. really difficult isn't it yeah absolutely so and when you actually started the, 
started the brand, you had in your head that you were going to sell it on eBay, which would have been a great business. But that's where you kind of mm -hmm. that's where your level of kind of aspiration was for the product. Mm -hmm. So how quickly did you realise that actually it was going to get way bigger than that? You know what, I think there was a couple of points. This was, I mean, we're going back five years now. So social media was a very different place five years ago as to where it is now. So it was very organic. And when people posted and shouted about your, you know, your product, it was done in a way that it wasn't paid. It wasn't done behind the scenes. It was a very natural transaction. So I was getting ready to launch. And I've met a lady who was a makeup artist, Cassie Lomas, in Manchester. And she said to me, you know, come and meet me, you can come into the studio. And I gave her some products and she did all the red carpets and she did like a lot of known people. And then she was on a shoot for Very and she gave it to Colleen Rooney and Colleen went onto Twitter and tweeted about it. And I remember being at the dining room table at my mum's and I was just like, <laughs> and you know, and it's actually really sad because when things like that happen now, it's almost like let the team know and keep pushing forward. But at that time, it just felt like, in my eyes, I just struck bloody millionaire territory. Yeah. Like you obviously hadn't, but you know, it was that feeling. And um, at that point we hadn't launched and the reaction that post got and the sheer volume of traffic that the website got and the, the sales that came in, I was like, oh, people really get it when they see it. And it's a very visual product. You know, our Instagram is flooded with real as customers results. Yeah. And it's very much an, an impulse buy, I guess. And so as soon as somebody sees it, they're like, okay, I need this, like, I need this for my hair. And so I think that was definitely a turning point when I was like, I knew people would want it, but that was the concrete evidence that when people saw it, they got it. So therefore all I had to do, put it in front of more people, right? And yeah. that was kind of my job then. And how scary was that though? Because, you know, you, 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 when you have to level up like that, and kind of mm -hmm. accept that it's going to be much bigger than you first thought. You didn't have a lot of time mentally to prepare for that, did you? It's not like you'd kind of worked on a product for a year and then you were ready to launch it with the whole process. It was, it, like you said, it, it grew very quickly. So how difficult mm -hmm. was that to cope with mentally? I almost think because I didn't know what I was doing, it probably saved me a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the issues, I guess, that you would have because I was so blind to it and it was the first 12 months was almost a game and then it became very real and very serious and it really needed steering but the first 12 months since we launched with and I say we it was just me and then I moved out my mum's house to like a derelict building and I had a rug across the window which we cut out for daylight and I'd go to McDonald's for the toilet because we had no electricity and we supply selfridges from there. It's just madness. HGV lorries would pull up outside this house that I was in working from. And it's crazy. And I think it was just, you're not sleeping, you're on a high, you're running off adrenaline. So I don't think I really had time to process it, um, which has probably saved me from the sheer, like, you know, what if. Um, yeah. And I remember selfridges ringing and asking to launch us. And I was just like, oh, it's my friends messing around. And then they asked for a volume. And I thought they were talking about money. And then they asked for barcodes. And I just rang a printer and said, can you give me some barcodes? And he's like, well, yeah, what's the legal entity? And I'm like, I don't know. Can you not just make one off? And he's like, that's not how it works. So I just think I was running with so many different things. I just didn't have time to think, like, what if? So what's the downside to that? Have you found that now that you have caught up with yourself and you've got processes in place and you've got a team behind you that can help you with all that, have you, had, have you managed to kind of sit back and go, wow, look what I've achieved. And also kind of think, okay, I just need to just calm myself down now and just kind of get back into a routine. I think it definitely got to a point about 18 months ago, two years ago, when it would have been constant for three and a half years. 
and you know up at five bed at 12 one o'clock wake up in the middle of the night checking the bank balance because your cash flow is super tight and I probably did not do that for three years running respectively checking the bank in the night and checking this and checking social and checking all these things and obviously with an e-commerce business that is global it doesn't sleep so you're mm. you've got customers all around the world so there's always customer base awake and active so it's really hard to learn to switch off from that and so I think about 18 months ago two years I went away I went to visit my parents who were abroad and I was so ill I was like I stepped off the plane and I just felt exhausted and full of colds and I spent the two weeks in bed mm. when I come back I went to the doctor and they said well your body is living off adrenaline every day it has this adrenaline kick and so as soon as you try and stop yeah. you just slump and I was like, oh, and I think it was a bit of an eye-opener, really, that, okay, externally you're okay, but internally your body's taking the toll of that. So at that point, I made some changes, and I, you know, I joined the gym, I lost a lot of weight, I really put a lot of time into my health and my fitness, and, you know, daily walks with my dog are non-negotiable, and just implementing things into my routine that really made me stop and probably just switch off a little bit, and then almost just kind of think about what you've done but I don't really think you, you don't necessarily celebrate it because you're always reaching for the next goal but I do think it's really important to probably do it way before I did to learn to just stop and get that switch off and make some non-negotiables okay yes you can not do them if you really can't but try unless you really you know to stick to some things like Wednesdays I meet my friends we walk every morning like it's just little things you've got to force yourself to do yeah, and I think like that's what I said at the beginning, it's about that, you know, I'm the same as you, I'm very much all or nothing. And I think you do have to put those boundaries in place for yourself because otherwise you mm -hmm. do end up with burnout, don't you? A hundred percent, yeah. Did you ever suffer with imposter syndrome in the beauty industry? Because obviously it's a, it's a completely new arena to you, you know, you've stepped into it, you've gone in there, not quietly, mm -hmm. you've gone in there with a bang, you know, you've been in Vogue, you award, you know, you've won awards, you, you're all over the globe now. How welcoming have they been and have you always felt really comfortable there or have you kind of struggled with that imposter syndrome? I think in terms of welcoming the industry, it's like anything, you know, you've got great people, you've got not so great people. And I think I met some really not so great people, but I also met some really great people who I've been able, the first time I went, you know, to China, I rang when I was like, can you advise them what to do? And it went full circle and he's ringing me saying, can you get me into ASOS? And so I've met some people who, it's really good to have people in your industry who are maybe a bit ahead of you who can kind of guide you or help you. And then as you do other things, you can kind of pay it forward back to them. And I think, so that's been really, really helpful for me. Um, in terms of the industry, it's huge. And you know what, there is space for everyone. Um, mm. And I think obviously when you're on e-commerce, you're probably one reserved from the forward facing element of it. We do a lot of trade shows at the beginning where we'd be around a lot of other people, but there's not really a competitor to what we do so we probably don't have the negative side as much as other people maybe yeah and i think it's you know it's it's so true about paving paving it back and helping other women below you that are coming up mm -hmm. the ranks because you know they can learn from you but you've learned from somebody else and i think that's so important yeah. i think that's something that you're really quite you're keen to help younger women get into business aren't you and encourage them to, to yeah. start up I just think for me, there was people who at the time didn't, for them, it wasn't anything. It was a quick coffee, but it really, really gave me that little bit of boost that I needed. And I did um, a live panel Q&A talk last week with a really good friend of mine. And I met her because when I started ProBlow, she would always, she had a following on social media. She would always post about ProBlow and shout about it. 
and really drive traffic. And she didn't know me. She just knew that I was a local girl starting this business. Fast forward five years, she's now started a business called Elsa Ra, which is a, you know, their target audience is a slightly older lady than ours. But she comes to me and she said, you know, I've started this, any advice? And I went and we've met up and I've really helped her and supported her through that brand journey to launch. And it's just full circle. She didn't post about probably four years ago because she knew in the future she might want to ask me some help. But it just shows you just, net, you know, you make those connections and you truly be, use back people for no, no gain just because you want to support them. Yeah, I think it does go a long way. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned the age range here. So what is your kind of category, age category for Perglet, do you think? So our main demographic is 24 to about 48 is our main customer. We have younger people, we have people over the age bracket, but that's our main demographic in terms of the sales. That's really interesting because it is something that I hadn't necessarily heard of and I'm 50, mm-hmm. but now I can't wait to try it because, you know, I've got mm-hmm. long hair and, and I love having my hair blow dried. And I do think it's yeah. interesting how sometimes we might miss out on something because mm-hmm. because we don't necessarily know about it because it's not targeted about age group, but actually there's I loads love of women out there. Because <laughs> <laughs> it means you've got more people to talk Exactly. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what that was the point, really, is that you know that there might be a whole demographic there that you that mm-hmm. just don't know about you that would use it. Because yeah. I think you know, certainly my friends now that are between 50 and 60 are really kind of into they've got the time and the money now to spend mm-hmm. on themselves. And it could be a whole new area that you could introduce women to. Yeah, we did do a little bit of work with um, QVC, which is more that age category. Yeah. We did really well with the shorter hair as well. And my mum's always taking it to her local gym and throwing it around the changing room. So, oh, mum, come on, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how comfortable have you become being the kind of face of the brand? Because obviously you have to now put yourself out there. You have to come and do podcasts. You don't have to, but it's part of the, the brand promotion is you going out there and talking mm-hmm. about your business because the business is, is very, your story is key to it because, you know, the, the people buy into it because of what you've mm-hmm. created and how you've got there. So how comfortable are you being now visible at doing that? I feel like with ProBlow, we, I haven't really put myself in front of ProBlow as the founder, if you like, because it is standalone. It doesn't need me to drive it. But of course, you have the other side of it where you can do things like this or you can go to events or speak at things to kind of, it is to promote the brand, but it's also to share your journey in hope of helping other people. I think for me, I'm super comfortable with it so long as it's not like, anything that's overly edited if I'm going to do something and we can be real and we can be honest then I'm open to it but I've been asked to do things previously where there's going to be scripting involved or heavy edit or they want to put you in certain situations and I'm just like well I don't want to become known for anything I'm just doing what I'm doing and if that helps somebody or inspires somebody great but it's got to be right like it's got to be truthful to what you are yeah and I love the fact that you're being so authentic and you've got those boundaries in place so I think it's so mm-hmm. important with any business and what not necessarily only business but just in life isn't it and I think the people that do yeah. well are the ones that are that stay true to themselves and don't conform mm-hmm. to to somebody else's standards so yeah keep that up I think bit. it's hard as well because I feel like on Instagram like we know Instagram's not real it's you know it's a highlight reel it's a couple yeah. of seconds of your day and I think it's really hard because you you know I've got a personal profile that's open for anybody to follow and I share things about the journey, the business, things like that. But it's like the reality isn't always what people see. And so I think it's important to try and share that and show people, you know what, it isn't 
glitz and glamour. We don't play with hairbrushes, hairbrushes all day. You know, my day starts at 5am and by 10 o'clock I've trained, I've walked, I've cleared my emails, you know, we've done this, this and this, and that's the reality of it. And I think this like, it's a one hit wonder or it's an overnight success. It just isn't, it just doesn't happen. What have you learned about yourself? it does, send them my well, way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, what have you learned about yourself in the last kind of few years of business on this journey? I think I've always had a very strong belief in myself, but I think I'm very comfortable in doing things my way and trusting that. And I obviously, you know, at the beginning when you're new, you listen to people's advice. And a lot of the time that advice is given with the best intention, but you know yourself. And I think you've really got to trust your gut. And I know that I do trust my gut. So I think I've learned, I know I'm very strong and I'm willing to, if I want something, I can go out there and make it happen. I learned very early on that I am all or nothing and I don't expect that's a good thing. I think, yes, it's a good thing in that I put everything into this business, but you have to get balance. And so the business definitely taught me that's a massive part of my personality trait and one that I am very actively trying to be aware of because you can't be all or nothing because that's Mm. not, there's no point having this great successful business, but you know, being unhealthy or to have another aspect if you like you're not happy with so for me it's all about trying to kind of get that balance I've definitely learned that as well and how ambitious are you for the future I'm guessing very very <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Provlow for me is like my lesson I feel I feel like it's going to teach me everything that I need to know and it's taught me so much already and I've made a lot of mistakes um, I've spent a lot of money on things that you wouldn't have spent on, which we would never dream of now. But obviously when you're new and you're given these great opportunities or you fit and hands on heart, every decision that I've made, I've made with the best intention at the time. And I've always been one step back. It's never been personal to me. Mm. It's always been a business. The numbers give the answers to me so as long as it feels right. But that being said, with experience and with time, obviously you wouldn't necessarily do things the same again. So I'm just really, I've always said it's kind of my lesson. And I don't know, I mean, there's still 35 years of career left in me yet, so who knows? And you've got a lot a lot more than that, Lizzie. You know, it's, I, <laughs> I speak to women, I speak to a woman that um, created the... Um, forever look fabulous makeup range at 63 64 and she's now mm-hmm. selling you know all over the state so you've definitely got a, a long career ahead of you doing whatever you want to do i'm not so sure if you could give people tips and advice on kind of how they can be brave enough to start following their dreams and ideas and, and mm-hmm. carrying it forward what would you recommend they do i think obviously first and foremost if there's something that you want to do just make sure it's viable first like work out go through all the posts what do what I didn't do look at everything that could go wrong look at all the costs involved and that's all this that's all the paperwork stuff that you anyone can tell you I think as a person to person I would say if you're gonna do it you've got to believe 100% in yourself and I always think like believe in whatever it is that you're doing believe in yourself that you know you've got the ability to do it and then just be willing to work really, really hard and just don't give up. Just keep going, keep going with it. And I think that's the main three things. You can't, nobody can take your dream off you. Nobody can, you know, pull it down, but equally nobody can make it a success because at the beginning it is all you. And I think there's this whole, you go on Clubhouse, you listen to podcasts and it's all, find your weakness and outsource it, which I totally, totally agree with. But you don't have the luxury of doing that on day one. You have to do everything because mm-hmm. you don't have the cash flow. 
so you know just just go all in if you're going to do it just just go all in yeah that's such great advice and i think you're right i think so many people also when they when they they stop themselves from doing it because they think that it has to be perfect right at the beginning and it's wow. never going to be that you've just got to make a start haven't you and accept that yeah. there will be mistakes made along the way and it's not going to be perfect but that's part of how you learn isn't it and i think fear yeah. of fear of making mistakes can be a huge barrier for some people but i think you're always going to make mistakes i'm still going to make mistakes now i'm going to make mistakes in five years but it's mm. being okay with that and i've seen a quote and you just when, when you mentioned that about perfection and it said, not word for word, but along the lines of, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you launch too late. Mm. And it's like, I look back on Provo's first product and people say to me now, oh, I bought it when you launched and my toes curl. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. Because it's, it's not perfect. And the first year, my two obsessions was quality and getting it in front of people. And the more you produce, the more you manufacture, the more feedback you get, you know, you learn, you make changes and you then end up with a solid product that, that does everything it needs to do. But, you know, you don't know that until it's out there and it's okay. Like, so long as you're willing to speak back, if you said, if you launch a product and it's not perfect, listen to those customers. You've got social media and you know what? Everyone says it can be so negative, but it can also be so positive. And mm. I promise you, if 10 people come to you with a problem, nine out of them 10 will be more than happy with a response of you saying, I really appreciate it. Let me resolve it for you. And I will pass that feedback on and ask them for their feedback. And people respect that, you know, so yeah. it doesn't have to be perfect. Just start. Yeah. Like, you can perfect things. And I guess, you know, just from the way you're talking there, it's about owning what you're doing, isn't it? Completely like owning it. And, and yeah. that's the, that goes with the success and the fear of it. So, what scares you then? Do, do things scare you that, that you really have to kind of push yourself out of your comfort zone and work on? Good question. What scares me? Apart from mine. Uh, <laughs> I, I really don't know. Not in the business. Not a lot. I think in the beginning, a couple of years, there was a lot of things that happened that were just blindsided. And, you know, it could have put me under very, quick, very quickly. And I think going through those situations has really toughened me up and there's probably not much that would scare me now but again it's learning you know year one did I do my accounts did I keep my receipts doing that no I was just focused on getting the product then all of a mm. sudden it's like we've turned over about 12 million pounds here in 12 months we need to produce this and this and this and this and I'm like, oh, I don't have this but that was my mistake but I didn't know I was making it you mm. know and there's so many easy things out there to stop you know QuickBooks and all these other wonderful sources out there but at the time you don't know and so I think things like that probably scare. I don't know. I wouldn't say as much. <laughs> no, that's really good. But I'm sure there'll be, there'll be lots of more opportunities to find what scares you mm -hmm. in the future as you step up and level yeah. up. Because we know that whenever you're leveling up to the next thing, that always creates anxiety, doesn't it? And it always creates exci excitement. But also it's that stepping out of your comfort zone each time you level up. It's I not... think it's almost like a thin line between fear and excitement of like yeah. failing. Because obviously you don't want to fail and you're willing to push through anything to not fail but then very closely to that fear, fear of failure is the excitement and the adrenaline to keep going so it's a very fine line so i think i probably just focus more on the excitement side and just subconsciously push the fear out my way 
Yeah, which comes across, I mean, you know, you've got such a positive mindset, which I, I know that will inspire people listening. So thank you so much for sharing your story. My final question that I ask all women, because I really do think that we need to start being kinder to ourselves and we find it difficult often to accept compliments. So if you were to pay yourself a compliment, what would it be? Oh, um, what would it be? I would probably just say, look back how far you've come. Because I think you're always pushing for the next goal. You're always trying to get that next target. But if you had told yourself four years ago where you're going to be today, mm. you'd be really proud of that person. So just look back, I guess. If you could give yourself a bit of advice, looking back now, what you've learned in your journey, what would you go back to say to yourself at the beginning of all this, knowing what you know now? Do it in your time. And I think because for ProBlo, we launched and everyone wanted a piece of it so quickly mm. and we grew really quickly. We went into retail really quickly. We did global distribution really quickly. And with that speed of growth comes huge financial pressures on your cash flow when you're like seven, eight months behind people paying and you jump at things and you say yes, because you're, I guess, in fear that that opportunity won't be there in six months time. But the yeah. truth is, if it's there, if they want you today, they're going to want you in 12 months. Mm -hmm. So just do it on your time. And I say it to anybody who's going into business, who's launching a brand or a service. It's your business. It's your idea. It's you driving it. You have the control to say yes or to say no or to put it onto shelves or to not put it onto shelves. And I think just do it in your time is so important. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing it. And how can people find out about you? How can they, where, where, what website can they go to to go and order? So for ProBlow, you've got ProBlowGroup.com and all our socials are ProBlow Group. I shall share it. I'll share it on the notes as well. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and I shall be going out and looking out for trying them. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rachel. Thank Bye. You're listening to Rebecca's story as much as I did talking with her. What an inspiring woman. There are so many women out there in their 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond that are starting up new businesses later in life and making a huge success of things. So I hope that by sharing Rebecca's story, if that's something that you're thinking about, it's offered you a little bit of inspiration and motivation to help you along your way because it's never too late. I'll be back with some more inspiration next week. So have a great week. Thank you for listening to Out of the Bubble podcast. I hope you found lots of inspiration and it's left you with some midlife food for thought. How would you compliment yourself? I'd love to hear from you so I can share some love for all you women over 40. Please get in touch. Email me, rachel at outofthebubblepodcast.com. You can also come and join the Facebook page at Step Out of the Bubble. I'll be back next Monday, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous. <laughs>